Wyoming Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. The relentless mocking has got to stop in this studio, okay? Look at me. I'm giving thanks to all these healthcare workers. That's about it. Look at the size of this thing! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company on Tuesday. You heard it. Cofield, JBT is the company. And Ari is back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Trending at two, first of all, John. I know it was a rough couple of days with uh, all of those coffee drinks all over the internet. We'll get to that in about... 45 minutes, but you doing okay, buddy? Uh, I feel like I'm about to go Tom Wilson uh, on my laptop and just in general at this point right now. Just one what of else? those days, Steve. What else? One of Come those on, days. Spill out the soul. Come on. Pull it uh, out. Let's open the show with uh, JBT's issues. Come on. We're here for you. Oh, no. it's There's uh, – what's it called? There's worse ways to make a buck. I have a very nice job. I enjoy it. So I just have a lot of work to get done. And I've been working very early in the morning. And let's just say that waking up at 3 a.m. is not something – that is easy to get used to. So I've not only got a lot of work to do, but I feel like if you were to let me, I'd totally knock out right now. Right. You would go to sleep. Uh, right. yeah, morning shows are rough. Uh, by the way, who takes off right after the NFL draft? That's a topic for another day. Um, <laughs> what, what was the main topic on your morning show over on VSEN? Today? Uh, let's see. What do we have a lot? We had a lot of NBA today. We're heading down the home stretch. Baseball. I mean, it's betting, right? So it's it's not as topical in terms of narrative and anecdotal stuff. So a lot of baseball and NBA. Did you get into the Knights collapse last night? They're up 5-3. They're cruising along. And then all of a sudden, just freaking disaster in the final five minutes. Uh, We did not, but we're also, humans and I, Matt humans, uh, are not the most hockey heavy. We touched on it very briefly and then went on from our day because uh, I am not one to analyze a collapse in hockey because I am not one to talk about things I don't know about. Right. Well, I was sitting over at the D last night because uh, we hang around. You guys can come down, watch the games with us there at Bar Canada. And there actually was a, a decent crowd uh, there. And I'm not saying Ooh. that the decent crowd was a surprise. A decent crowd of fans who either bet Minnesota or were fans of the Wild. So you could kind of feel it brewing in the bar. And, man, the way the Knights fell apart. Leonard had some weird moments early. Uh, he had some weird moments uh, leading up to the bad ones. 5-4, man, there was a, a a point in the game where he was, like, sprawled out. He didn't know where the – you know, he couldn't get up. He was flopping on the ground. And then, come on, two goals within 26 seconds of each other, 106 left. I mean, the game went from a 5-4 game. We were like, all right, they're going to get through this. This hasn't been the cleanest game. But, you know, what? thank God, because the Wild yeah. have been beaten the booty of the Knights – uh, to this point in the season before yesterday's game, the Wild were 4-1-1, one, and one, which when you think about it, yeesh. I mean, the Knights had come in, whatever their record was going into the game yesterday, with you know, 36-12 mm-hmm. and something like that. Uh, no one has been beating them. The Wild, though, had won four out of six. So you're like, all right, they got away with it. You know, Leonard wasn't great. The defense at times wasn't awesome. But they got off to a good start. They're going to hold on here. And then just L crumble down the stretch, and then Leonard really had no excuses after the game. He's like, I got to make some of those saves. I got to get the job done. But here's the deal that it sets up, John. This is a legit albatross around the neck of the Golden Knights. Later in the night, you had San Jose jump out to a lead on the Avs because the Avs are really the team that's right there. Mm -hmm. 
know, going into yesterday, what the Wild were six points behind the Golden Knights, but the Avs were, you know, are right there. So the Sharks jump out to this three-one lead. You're like, oh, whew, okay, all right, going to be some breathing room. Yep, sharks blow it. Here come the Avs. So now you got five, six games left. Nitty gritty time because here's the deal, right, John? The Knights do not want to play the Wild. This yeah. is, I mean, five one and one. The Wild are. They cannot get into a series with this team. And, it's, you know, obviously, you're going to be home road. Um, there, forget about it. They, they can't win. So uh, this is – it's absolutely fascinating because they have that two-point lead over Colorado. As you said, the nitty and the gritty at this point right now at the end of the year. But the great part about all of this is kind of along the lines that you and I have talked about this a lot. It's expectation. This yep. team just went on a 10-game winning streak. Yep. They're one or two in the last three games. And I, I don't want to say it feels like the sky is falling, but it's like, this isn't good enough. This is a nightmare. Like, how could we lose this game? Like, this is what's having, like, this is what it's like to have a legitimate sports team that's competing for titles. Like, these moments where after a 10 game winning streak, any team, any fan base would be happy. Not VGK. No, yeah. this is a nightmare. And, and meanwhile, and we're going to get to the Raiders in a little bit because there's been more of that pushback by Raider Nation, or mm -hmm. as I'm going to start, start calling them, status quo nation. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. We're all good. You know, everything's good. It's like you can't criticize. You can't critique. You can't have an open dialogue about the Raiders and what they're doing in terms of team building. Meanwhile, like you just said, the Knights lose two or three and we're like, what's going on? <laughs> this is nuts. Step it because up. Knights have set a standard, John. It's Stanley Cup or bust. Absolutely. And this is what it's like, man. And, and look, even if, like, when you're talking about this right now, there's not that many games left, and two points is not that much. And the way that they've been playing, they could probably overcome this. I think Leonard's been, from what I have seen, and statistically, above average, right? He's been solid. This is a bad I mean, moment. He, I mean, he's been playing well coming in. So, you can't right. – you know, he had a game where – I mean, part of it was he didn't, he didn't have a great game. He didn't control some rebounds. But also, there were, there were tons – of wild players hanging out in front of the net. That just can't happen. I mean, uh, you know, one of the goals down the stretch, he, he couldn't freaking see. But this is the fun part. I mean, like, this is what regular season is supposed to be about when you're competing. It's not only just winning games, but it's jockeying for position, getting the best seed possible. Like, the, I, I think it's pretty cool. Like, the narrative and, like, the conversations around this. I have buddies who love the Vegas Golden Knights who are freaking out about the results. Like, all of this kind of stuff is what it's really all about. Because then when you get to the postseason – and you have a matchup against a team that you haven't had success against, that's a real sweat. But this is great, dude. I think the the conversations around this team this year, I don't know why it feels a little different. Maybe because every, you know, it's the compact nature of the season and every game has meant so much. Uh, but this year has been pretty cool in terms of the way this team has been playing. And it still feels like they're not, not that they're not accomplishing anything, but they haven't gotten to the ultimate goal because it's not the end of the season. The Avalanche are still right there. Well, John, and it's so hard to read because they've been piling up an amazing record against the bottom of the West because we haven't had this crossover element in the NHL, everyone playing their divisions. Uh, but we know the Avs are a really tough matchup. They've fared better against the Avs. The Wild, for some reason, they – I mean, this goes back years. They cannot freaking handle the Wild. And guess what? Wild are back up tomorrow. I mean, that – it's a must win. I mean, last night could have given them a nice cushion. Uh, tomorrow is a pressure spot. They got to get the job done. Uh, then they got the Blues twice. They're at the Sharks. Get the abs one more time. That could that could be the game for you know the whole ball of wax, and then the yep. the sharks one more time, and the the sharks on the last game of the season. Uh, nothing more than I think sharks fans would want, and the team to freaking play spoiler, and you know push VGK into the freaking 
matchup against you know either the Wild or the Avs. So the close of the season is going to be tremendous. Uh, I guess guys are feeling the pressure, but you know what? I'm not going to say that with Tom Wilson because Tom Wilson was doing last night what Tom Wilson does. What's your reaction, Tom Wilson, with a, another vicious hit? And then you've got fans across the league who are like, how many times? Enough's enough. Yeah. Look, this is my this is my stance on it, and I think this is relatively simple. I don't follow the National Hockey League on a night to night basis, right? Especially now since I've gotten the, the NBA job. If you know, if there's an NHL game, I got to watch the NBA over it. If I know about Tom Wilson and his antics and how much of a piece of crap he is, then you got some problems, right? Like that's that's when a casual fan and like a barely casual fan of, of the sport, you know, I love to check in during the postseason. But if somebody who follows the sport to my level knows of Tom Wilson and his background, you got a problem. And uh, watching what he was doing yesterday, too, and to cause an injury to another player, it seems very soft to throw down a $5,000 fine and just be like, no, nah, we're good. Okay, let's move on. I, you got to do something about this at this point. We got more on Tom Wilson and the way the NHL is handling this guy. We got to get to what the Lakers did last night because it was a massive win. But I think John thinks they celebrated, or at least one person celebrated a little too much, but really the story of the day today is future Raiders quarterback, maybe Aaron Rodgers, just getting slammed by the legend and all-time great quarterback, Terry Bradshaw. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. But here's a key date when they might trade him, and that's after June 1st. I've already got it written on my calendar, June 2nd, 7.05 a.m. I'm on with Greeny to talk about what happens now because they might trade him then. And the reason, because that's when the salary cap hit will be less for them if they move on. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. That's Rob Domofsky, uh, ESPN.com on Get Up this morning. Ari's here, it's Cofield. John Von Tobel as well. He was talking about the Aaron Rodgers timeline of a potential trade. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Q Meyer is going to join us in less than 10 as well. Locked on Raiders podcast and part of that Raider Nation Radio 920 AM family. Q is up in just a little bit. So, JVT, we opened mentioning the difference between the demands of the VGK fan base and the Raiders fan base, right? And mm-hmm. we've seen the Raiders fan base can be very argumentative. Mostly, the loudest people on social media are backing the Raiders, come hell or high water. Uh, P1, one of our big listeners, Derek, said, so the Raiders fans should be more critical and complaining lunatics. Does that solution work for the Jets? No, it doesn't work for the Jets, and the Jets fans are very local. It doesn't work for the Jets because Jets management sucks. And you know what did work in terms of creating some change? When the Jets were trying to sell PSLs, John, to that new stadium, in northern New Jersey, you know what happened to the Jets season ticket list? Because they were trying to sell PSLs, the entire thing disappeared. And people think, oh, the Jets have no fans. Giants have a lot more fans, and their waiting list was like dozens of years long. The Jets' waiting list was probably six or seven years long. The entire thing disappeared because Jets fans are like, hey, you're not winning. You can't bring in good management. We're not putting down money for PSLs. That's how you force change. And if anyone wants to come back at me, listen, these are two teams that haven't been good this century. But the funny thing is, people will crack on the Jets. Jets have actually been better this century than the Raiders. Of course. They actually have. That's a crazy thing. 
The, the, the Raiders are 70 games below 500, even with a great beginning to the 2000s. The Jets are not much better, but they're 38 below 500. So both. Well, they also got a couple of title game appearances, right? Conference and, title game appearances, and, like. And the, and, the, and the you know the Raiders were top notch for the for the you know for the beginning of the century, and obviously they had a 12 and four year uh, with Del Rio when uh, Carr had a great year and then got injured at the end. But yeah, yeah, you should be more vocal. You should be more critical. There's nothing wrong with healthy dialogue, and it doesn't mean that you're a hater or if you're, you're going to complain, go root for another team. It's just that stuff is silly. And that's why this conversation about Aaron Rodgers being available to possibly the Broncos, the Raiders, maybe the Niners, the Raiders have to do everything they can to get involved in this thing. And I'll tell you, a bad break today. This is a big one. You know, Jawan James, tackle for the Broncos, opted out last year. So they had trouble all last year, John, on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Well, working out apparently today. And uh, Schefter, let's make sure it's not a darn Schefter. No, it's the real Adam Schefter. Broncos offensive tackle Jawan James suffered a season-ending torn Achilles working out today. Away. Oh, no. Away from the team facility. His $10 million salary for the upcoming season now is in jeopardy, being that Denver is no longer obligated to pay him with him working out off-site. Oh, boy. It's it's horrendous for the player, but it's a big story that, hey, the Players Association didn't want guys going in for safety reasons, and now this poor dude has shredded his Achilles. Yep, that's absolutely brutal. It's ridiculous, too. And I'll say this, you know, I was surprised – that Denver didn't go offensive line, at least early in the draft. I thought that was yep. definitely what they were going to be in the market for. You know, one of the prop bets that I lost for Sean Slater under 10 and a half, I didn't think Slater was going to get by Denver at number nine. I thought it was definitely a need that they could fill with that. So, And their division rival gets them in the Los Angeles Chargers. But uh, that sucks. That's a brutal loss. So I don't know how it affects Aaron Rodgers' perception and wanting to go there. I don't think it would do much. He's dealt with bad offensive lines before, but that's a massive blow for them, obviously. And look at what they did in the second round. Instead of taking an offensive lineman yep. when others were available, uh, they decided to get aggressive, trade up, and get a running back. They have a running back. I don't think Melvin Gordon is completely reliable, but now you're going to look at a team that may be thin on the offensive line, have you know this up-and-coming running back in Javante Williams and not have enough you know quality guys to be blocking in front of them. So, yep. again, you can't predict injuries, uh, but they should have prepped for – uh, having and gotten a little more depth on the offensive line. So as the AFC West turns, lots of drama. We'll get back to the Rodgers stuff. We got the Terry Bradshaw takedown of Rodgers coming up in about 20 minutes. But on the way back, let's talk to Q Myers. We'll get his take on the Raiders draft, and especially uh, Leatherwood we can talk about a little bit. We are gonna we really want to get into the, the rest of the guys they drafted and potential depth, and if there is a superstar, a starter, uh, that came off the board in the third on down. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. It's a Tuesday on Cofield and Company. That means we check in with our Raiders insider from Locked On Raiders podcast, also part of the Raider Nation Radio 920 AM family. Q Myers 
is with us. All right, Q, let's get into the uh, the draft hall after the number 17 pick, Alex Leatherwood. Did the combo of Trevon Merrig and Leatherwood make you feel a little bit better with the fact that Merrig was slated by many to be a first-round pick, and apparently he was the Raiders' number one guy at safety. Yeah, that made me feel a lot better because uh, as a guy in Central Texas, I've seen Merrick a lot. I know what he could do at TCU. I know he's a ball hawking safety on the back end of that Gary Patterson defense, and I know that's exactly what the Raiders needed. So it's so funny because so many people, including myself, uh, would have had the, the the picks in the reverse order. I would have had Merrick and then Leatherwood if that was going to be my guy instead of Leatherwood and Merrick. But either way, ultimately, they came out with the, t- the top two guys that they needed and apparently the guys that they wanted. So I like the, the Merrick. Uh, pick a lot. I think he's going to be really, really good. The Raiders have needed a big-time safety at that position for a while. Uh, they need a guy that can play opposite of Jonathan Abram and allow Jonathan Abram to pl- possibly play up in the box and maybe maximize the the most of his ability. We'll see. You know, I think this is a big year. Matter of fact, I know this is a huge year for Jonathan Abram. He's going to have to show something this year or he's going to be on the outside looking in. Uh, you know, the, the fifth-year option is going to have to be picked up on him next year around this time, uh, on, on the 3rd of uh, May next year. And I'll tell you right now, right now, based off what he's done, his fifth-year option ain't getting picked up. Yeah, I mean, anyone who wants to deny that they just took a bunch of safeties and, you know, bringing back Carl Joseph and getting other guys in the safety mix, that that's not a message to Abram to get it together and get better, you're nuts. Which, right. again, going back to what we just talked about about 10 minutes ago, good, good. This is the way you operate in big boy sports. John Abram has to get the message. You got to get better, and your judgment, especially in the pass game and coverage, has got to improve. Yeah, exactly. And it's so funny because the fan base fell in love with Abram because the way he talks, the way he walks, the way he acts, the number that he he rocks. He's got that two four on his chest. Everyone's excited about that, and he's the next end all be all guy. But he's proven absolutely nothing so far in the league. You know, wasn't healthy his rookie year, and his second year had a lot to be desired. So he's got a lot of soul searching to do. Uh, there's a lot of competition now at that position, like you mentioned. And and you're right. Good organizations don't worry really about positions, uh, you know, and say, well, we got a guy here. Let's go get this guy. They go and just bring in a ton of competition, and that's what they need. Q, we just saw 11 of the 32 picks from a couple of years ago not get their fifth-year option picked up, and that's, hey, the organization says, sorry, we we can't go with a second contract, or at least you haven't earned the the big contract enough that you're going to get big money in your fifth year. All right. Well, I want to go through some of the safeties here in a second, but let's talk about the third-round pick and Malcolm Kuntz. Tell me what the Raiders were thinking here. You're, you got a big-time athlete, 6'3", 250. What are they looking to do with him? I think he's just a situational pass rusher. And what I like about him, and of course, I mean, he went to Buffalo, so he's going to have to learn to play against big boy competition. But, you know, Khalil Mack learned how to play against big boy competition. He's a different dude. I'm not trying to compare those two guys. But what I will say is he's a situational pass rusher. He'll be in a limited amount of reps. He'll be fresh. And I think the 49ers gave a good example to the whole league what they could do if you have a good, fresh amount of bodies on the defensive line the year that they went to the Super Bowl. Now, they ultimately lost to Kansas City, but that was more on Jimmy G than it was on the defense. That defensive line rotation was great. And I think that if you have a guy that's similar to Unique Ngakwe, I think that's who Koontz you can kind of compare him to is more length and, and, and style of an Ngakwe who you just signed as a free agent. If you can have him come in 
on third and long and just pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. He's not very good against the run. Again, he, he's got to learn how to play against quality uh, competition in the NFL. The offensive linemen are obviously going to be better than the competition he faced at Buffalo, but he's got a lot of good pass rushing skills, and that's what I'm excited about. I think you'll see him in there in a minimum amount of snaps, but he'll get the most out of them. Similar to what you saw from Max Crosby his rookie year where he wasn't in full-time, but he got full-time production out of the time he was in there. Devon Diablo, uh, safety, probably trending more towards the linebacker, 6'3", 230, yeah. ran a uh, sub 4'4", four, four in the 40. Great measurables. Where do you see him fitting in? Is he challenging Abram, or is he more on that uh, linebacker alignment? Well, you know, he, he is going to be that, that weak side linebacker, but he is somewhat, in my opinion, kind of challenging Abram as well, you know, because I think Abram, you're going to see him a lot playing in the box, and that's what Diablo is going to be good at uh, at doing. Now, I mean, he's, he's a third-round pick, so he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, a lot of people thought that he should have been a fourth or a fifth-round pick. So, again, a, a guy that, you know, the Raiders may have reached on, but I don't really – get worried about reaching on a third-round pick. I'm not too worried about that. If that's your guy, fine. Go get him. Cool. Whatever. Uh, I think that he's going to be a guy that will contribute special teams-wise immediately, and and then he will be some competition for like like Jonathan Abram to you know continue to push him, and, and then you'll see him kind of convert down to that weak side linebacker. He said that Cam Chancellor is one of the guys that he looks up to, and uh, again, Gus Bradley is the <laughs> defensive coordinator, and we all know Gus Bradley had Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas, and those are two great safeties at, uh, at when the Legion of Boom was doing what they do. That'd be nice, right, Cam Chancellor? Uh, Tyree yeah. Gillespie, true safety, and then uh, Hobbs, a DB at Illinois. I mean, I think it's clear here, again, we talked about yep. challenging Abram. This is a challenge to everyone who's playing cornerback, uh, not only the starters in Mullen and Arnett, but it's some of the guys who've been around for a couple of years. And, you know, Isaiah Johnson, uh, Nevin Lawson, they keep bringing him back. You know, the competition in camp, this is great, is going to be yeah. freaking vicious. Yeah, and that's what it needs to be. It really does. You can't have guys out there thinking that they're five-star athletes on scholarships. You know, for the longest time, Raider fans knew that the players that they were that drafted by the Raiders, and even at the end of Al Davis's life, he was uh, drafting guys, and it was almost like they were on scholarship. Like, you knew that they were going to be on the squad. You knew that they were going to play. Hey, man, there's no scholarships in the NFL. you got to go out and earn your playing time. I think Hobbs is a guy that could compete for that slot corner position. Uh, Amik Robertson was supposed to be able to man that position. That was the reason that they selected him a year ago. He hasn't really been able to get onto the field. LaMarcus Joyner, we all know how that situation went. It went bad. They ended up releasing him. They haven't had an opportunity to have a guy that can cover the slot. I think Hobbs is going to get a chance to do it, but he's going to have to earn it in camp, and that's what it's got to be. I feel like this draft, with all the defensive players that they, they selected, had a lot of Gus Bradley influence. Like, hey, this guy cuts it. This guy doesn't cut it. I'm going to need this, this, and that, and you've got to be able to get that if you want any chance for this defense to work. And they went out and got it. Now it's up to Gus Bradley to get in the kitchen and cook it up and make it work. It's on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, part of the family, also Locked on Raiders podcast. Q Myers, every Tuesday, joins us. He brings it when it comes to the Raiders. We're reviewing the 2021 draft. Uh, as you came out of this thing and you, know, you look at the overall draft hall, did you look at some position and go, man, they should have addressed that position? Um... Uh, no, not really. I mean, you know, because I, I was thinking that they needed a defensive tackle, but I knew that the defensive tackle class was really, really thin and that there wasn't going to be a lot of those guys taken. And I did appreciate that they went and signed an undrafted free agent out of West Virginia, Darius Stills. He's a guy that, I, as I cover the Big 12, I've been watching from a distance, and that, this dude can go. Now, he's got 
you know, his size is a little bit smaller. He, I think he was the sixth ranked, sixth highest ranked defensive tackle in the class, and he went undrafted. So that kind of tells you all you need to know. But I know he's got a motor that doesn't quit. I know he's going to provide some competition in camp. I think those kind of guys, the hungry guys like that, those are the guys that they need. And so seeing that they drafted him or signed him immediately after the draft, I thought that that was very smart. Uh, just needed some more defensive tackle help. And listen, it hasn't all been bad in the draft. A couple of years ago, the Raiders had a good draft, especially in the middle of the draft of those third and fourth and fifth rounders and Renfro and Max Crosby and Foster Moreau. They got some contributors. They got to do that consistently, and they've got to hit on this draft because last year's draft, we'll see. You know, the jury's still out on guys like Brian Edwards and, well, Lynn Bowden's not here anymore, and Tanner Muse has got to develop into something useful. And why does that have to happen? Because the other GMs, now that Peyton is in Denver, the other GMs and personnel people in this division, Q, are freaking yeah. good. I'll give you a good example. While the Raiders are scrapping and clawing, you know, trying to find cornerbacks and, and safeties, the Chiefs went last year, and it was like whatever it was, pick 135, they got a starting cornerback in Lejarius right. Sneed. So yep. that's the standard that's set by the rest of the AFC West. Of the three organizations, Denver and L.A. and KC, when you looked at their draft hall, which one Man. were you like, ooh, that was good? Well, the Chargers were great. The Chargers were great. I mean, they're they're actually a lot of people are saying in the conversations that they might have had the best draft period out of all the teams, not in the division, in the league. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's how good their their draft was. I think the Chargers did some really good things. I think they established what they needed and what they wanted and realized where their team is really strong and where they need the most help. And obviously they want to protect Justin Herbert. And so uh, being able to go get some big time quality uh, protection for Justin Herbert, that's a first and foremost. And, and I think that they're going to be a tough out, man. You know, they have a new coaching staff, a new regime there. And so they're, they're coming out with their guns blazing. I think the Chargers are going to be something you definitely want to look out for and I thought Denver did a good job listen I don't know if uh, Patrick Sertan has been drafted for a trade maybe that's the Rogers hook that they get a first round top 10 cornerback but adding uh, Sertan to the mix is uh, you know they've got they've got a lot on defense but they're a little older with a couple other guys so they'll need someone next year and Sertan will certainly be in the mix and then Javante Williams they moved up to get him now they've got a legit running back uh, in the backfield along with Melvin Gordon but you know Gordon's got to make sure he stays straight off the field then then Denver also drafted four more guys on defense so you see what they're building here in Denver it's defense first and then a mistake-free offense I think is what they're hoping for either Locke gets it done or Teddy B's playing I think that Teddy will probably end up being the quarterback if they don't end up making any big moves for Rodgers. I think it'll be Teddy B originally. I, I don't, I'm not sold on Teddy B, so if he goes out there, then cool. I think that the Raiders have a good chance you know, against them, but that defense is going to be solid. We know Vic Fangio is a defensive dude. I mean, he's, he's the guy. It, since he made it past that first year, I thought after the first year he was the head coach, there was kind of slippery slopes, and maybe he was going to get fired. Once they didn't fire him after the first year, you knew that they were going to go ahead and put their trust in him and allow him to build the team up in his image, and that's what they're doing, and he's a defensive dude. That, that defense is going to be salty, especially if Sertain is stayed, if he does stay there and does doesn't get moved for, like you said, for Rodgers, that's going to be salty. But I'll tell you right now, I was happy that the the Broncos passed on Justin Fields. I thought that they were going to grab him, and they ultimately didn't. That would have been uh, a rough one for the Raiders as well, just because he's a quarterback that can make plays not only with his arm but with his legs as well. Q Myers is with us. Got to ask you uh, a personal question. What's going on with your son? Man, Western Oregon. He's headed to Western Oregon. He just uh, signed his letter of intent uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, at his school in, in Fresno, Cali, <clears throat> Cali excuse me, they're going to have a, um, uh, like a little signing day special on the 24th. So, uh, yeah, he, he's excited. It's a D2 school, but the coaches are showing him a lot of love and really want him to be a big uh, – 
big part of of their their team moving forward. Uh, possibility even starting as a freshman as a point guard. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. He's excited. Uh, now he's just got to get to work. You know, get ready because again, it's it's one thing to get to that level, but then you got to put in the work to stay at that level and succeed and, and go even further. So. Uh, yeah, he's. I'm very proud of him. He's doing great. I was. I was going to ask you for a sport until you mentioned point guard because I knew he played basketball, but the audience didn't. I was going to be like water polo, bowling. What do you get a scholarship in? <laughs> now he's a big time basketball player. How big is he? Six five. What? Six five point guard. You're yeah, not. Six, you're not six five. No, I'm not. And I told him if he gets any taller, we got to go to the doctor. We got to go to the hospital. We got to run some tests, man. So he, he better he better cool it at six five because I am not. I'm five foot eleven. So I look up to him now, which is a problem. So Q, you might be able to relate to this a little bit. Your you know your son. Hey, he achieved that next level. He's got a deal. Yep. You know, scholarship uh, to go to school. That's the ultimate goal here: is get yourself ready for life. You get an education. You get to play basketball. That's awesome. Can you imagine being a parent? on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday last week, especially Thursday, when your kid's picked in the first round and you know he's going to get generational money. It must be such a triumphant day. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you want to talk about tears. Tears of joy because I know when, when he got the scholarship offer from Western Oregon and, and the coach called me and was like, hey, we really want him here. I mean, I didn't get choked up, but at the same time, I'm like, man, they, they really want this guy. Like, they're really excited about him and see his potential. So if uh, if an organization is willing to throw millions of dollars at at a player that's been playing this fun game pretty much their whole life, yeah, I mean, that everything changes, man. These guys' worlds change. And so I, I couldn't imagine, man, if I heard my son's name called in the first round, I might pass out, man. You might call me and be like, Q, <laughs> you want to hop on the radio? I'm like, I'm done, man, I'm done. I can't. I ain't got nothing left. <laughs> well, especially if it's the NBA. I mean, you know, once you get in the NBA, if you get that second contract, I mean, the first oh, contract man. is generational money. The second contract is, you know, generations. You can take yeah. care of your family and yourself for the longest time. Let's close on this. So we're talking basketball. You mentioned Kim Mulkey and how things break up sometimes. So Mulkey, you're in Waco. You do radio in Waco, and Q Myers is with us. Locked on Raiders podcast. He's our Raiders expert here on Tuesday. So Mulkey moves on uh, LSU. Pays her big money to move on from a yearly deal of $2.27 million. And this is interesting. This is really interesting. In the uh, WNBA, you have uh, women leaving the WNBA to go back to college. So they grabbed a coach, and I'm assuming she's going to make a, a lot less. And I don't know if the culture is going to change. What's going to happen? Did the culture need to be changed? I don't think the culture needed to be changed. I'm really interested in this. I mean, I, I really, really am because from everything I'm hearing about Nikki Collin, who's the, the new head coach now for the Baylor Lady Bears, she comes over from the Atlanta Dream. Everything I'm hearing about her from her former teammate or players are that she's a great coach. She's very fiery. You know, she's going to get the most out of you. But then I look at her win-loss record, and it's like 38 and 55. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, wait a minute, man. <laughs> this is 21 years that uh, Baylor had of winning at that program. I don't know how that's going to just walk into the the Farrell Center and all of a sudden be accepted with open arms. She was coach of the year in 2018, but then I believe she only had seven wins. I think her team won seven games last year. So, And then on top of that, I didn't even realize this, and shame on me, I guess, the WNBA starts in about 10 days. Yep. I didn't even realize yep, that. So she now, walked, 10 she, days before the season she, starts, she's out of there. You know, she, like, I'm gone. Yeah. So that kind of tells you all you need to know as well. Of course, Baylor is a – prideful place as far as the Lady Bears go and the women's basketball program. Um, I, I'm, I'm interested to see. She'll be introduced to, to everybody tomorrow at 2.30 uh, Central Time, so I'm interested to see what she's got to say, but it's, hey man, you've been covering sports long enough, you know it's hard to, to be the man to replace the man, you know, and so yeah. I, she's got her work cut out for her. I'm very interested to see how this all plays out. And we're seeing that right now with Dave Aranda, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. People are still talking about, man, remember when Matt Rule was there? Man, it sure was nice when Rule was taking you to the Sugar Bowl. Now you're hoping that Coach Aranda could pull up a couple W's. So, uh, yeah, it's very difficult to be the man that follows the man. Q, what's on the podcast the rest of the week? Uh, all week long, I'm doing uh, getting to know and then the players. So on Monday, I did getting to know Alex Leatherwood. Today, I did getting to know Trayvon Merrick. Tomorrow, it'll be a double dip. We'll go with uh, Malcolm Kuntz and Devon Diablo. And I'll be talking to people that cover these guys in college just to get a little bit of better insight on exactly who these players are and what they could potentially bring to the table. And, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation, I think Leatherwood is going to be a really good player. I think he's a high-character guy. He comes from a winning program. Uh, I don't believe that uh, – Guys like Mayock and Gruden or Belichick get duped on Alabama players. You know, Belichick took right. a shot on Barmore. Uh, I think they trust the word of Saban, and I, I trust Saban on this. I'll, I'll just say in the end, I think in a couple of years we could look back, uh, as you were suggesting, um, maybe Leatherwood is a good right tackle. I have a feeling he's going to be a great right guard if they move him to right guard, and maybe an all-pro right guard. Right. So they're going to get something great out of this draft in Alex Leatherwood. It's, a, it's the whole value play, and it's very inexact. So people out there, when we're screaming and yelling about the Raiders in the draft, um, we don't know. At times, they don't know. Folks around the NFL don't know. People are paid year-round to do all the scouting and nail the first-round picks, and uh, even they don't get it right. So, uh, you know, just having a healthy dialogue about what the Raiders are doing in the first round year after year after year doesn't mean that anyone is a Raiders hater. No, and I think for me, my biggest frustration was me saying that I thought 17 was too high was just my opinion. That was all it was, you know? And I mean, if, if, if you want to believe that that was a great pick, great. I'm just giving my, appearance, uh, my opinion, which is what I do every day, is give my opinion on thoughts. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes it's never to be determined. But either way, I think he's a good player. I just thought the pick him at 17 was too high. And the story moving ahead will be track Darasaw versus Leatherwood, track Tevin Jenkins against Leatherwood, and we'll see who turns out to be the best and who made the right selection in that range. All right, Q, that was awesome. Great job. We'll talk to you next week. All right, my man. Appreciate you as always. There he is, Q Myers, Locked On Raiders podcast, part of the Raider Nation Radio 920 AM family. His spot is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. You may not need an attorney today or even tomorrow, but when the situation arises, you better have someone in your Rolodex and someone you can trust. And my guy is Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers, along with Matt Hoffman. These guys have been part of the Cofield and Company crew for eight plus years, and, and I trust these guys with all of my important legal issues. Battleborn Injury Lawyers cares about getting you the best compensation for your injuries. If you're frustrated with your current attorney not seeing that case move forward, you got to give these guys a call. You need legal advice, Justin Watkins. Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000, 570-9000. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Tons of giveaways on the show today. Be around at 345. We'll have another copy of MLB The Show 21. MLB The Show 21 going out around 345. That is MLB The Show for Xbox. And that is a uh, big, big deal. And uh, yeah, every day we're giving away a VGK jersey. That's brought to you by Finley Volvo. Make sure you visit them at FinleyVolvo.com. That giveaway will go down around uh, when do we think eh, we'll say 428 so be listening you got a chance to win a vgk jersey which could lead to tickets to a golden knights game to close out the season and we've got mlb the show 21 on the way in just a little bit von tobel's here it's cofield thanks to q myers for popping on really good stuff there uh talking about the possibilities for the raiders players that they drafted rounds three 
through seven. So a lot of talk, John, about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Rodgers, this rift with Gutekunst, the GM of the Packers, and I guess the Packers owners, I guess many of the stockholders for the Packers uh, support the organization and not Rodgers. I think that's really, really interesting. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, expert from Fox, Super Bowl winning quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks this game has ever seen, uh, was on WFAN in New York and had this to say about Aaron Rodgers and this public spat. And then, then if they fired the general manager, he'll come back. Are you kidding me? Really? Aaron, that's that's where this is. Here's what I'd do. I wouldn't budge. Let him gripe. Let him cry. Retire. You're 38. Go ahead and retire. See you later. I mean, I'm really strong about stuff like that. And it just makes him look weak. In my way of looking, it makes him look weak. I don't agree with Terry in any way. Uh, I am really disturbed when former players say I'm really strong on this stuff. This stuff being what? Backing the owners? Right. Not backing players' rights? That stuff, Terry? I don't agree with it, but at least Terry has an opinion. What do you think? Does this fall into uh, one of those categories for you as a millennial where you look up and you're like, Boomers! Damn you, Boomers! Well, I think anytime Terry Bradshaw talks, I just kind of think that automatically. So that just comes with the territory. But look, I, I'm just amazed. This is more of like a bro. Whose team are you on? Like you're a former player, shouldn't you be with Rodgers on this? Like, and especially as a court. And look, offense, football has changed. But you're a former quarterback. Like they really, in terms of skill position players, haven't spent a lot of draft capital in helping Aaron Rodgers out. Right, you know, you Matt Humans and I were talking about this uh, on Monday, right? The other year, a couple years ago, Chase Claypool, now plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, awesome wide receiver. They were available for the Green Bay Packers. Can you imagine Devontae Adams, Chase Claypool together with Aaron Rodgers in that offense last year? You know how good that freaking offense would have been, and that was an incredible offense last year. We're talking about maybe a difference in terms of winning an NFC Championship game if those two are on the field together. And so when people say, like, oh, well, they've done enough, they've tried, yes, the Packers deserve credit for building up a very good offensive line around Aaron Rodgers. The Packers deserve credit for finding some diamonds in the rough, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams being among them. But when you draft one skill position player over the last however many years it's been in the first round and the only, and the guy is his replacement, like, come on. you got to invest in the position a little bit, and I think that's where the gripe thing comes from, from Aaron Rodgers. Like, come on. Oh, and it's a personal thing because I the, the help, uh, getting him help is the smaller issue. The, the bigger issue is you've got a personality conflict here. And when you hear stuff like Matt, even Matt LaFleur may not have known last year that Jordan Love was going to be the pick. You've got a GM who is power hungry. And we've seen this throughout history, John. There have been cases where sports GMs can't deal with the fact that the organization is the star player. It ain't you. And I, I really believe in a lot of cases there's a jealousy and certain sports GMs are like, you know what? I've had enough of, you know, Michael Jordan getting all the credit or Aaron Rodgers getting all the credit. I'm going to show I can do it myself. I can do it again. Bruh, how about showing that when every bit of Aaron Rodgers has run out? Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, I don't, And I don't mind what Belichick does, obviously – and he even did it with Brady, right? Brady obviously has a couple more years left, but Belichick over the course of his career is like, I'm going to get rid of a guy before he runs out. 
clearly Aaron Rodgers ain't running out. The gas tank is pretty full at 37 going on 38. So freaking back off your desires to build the next winner and ride this amazing wave. Right. Like, I think Super Bowl titles have, like, a lot of value. Like, go get one, bro. (laughs) Right? Like, who cares about the future when instead of Jordan Love, again, you can go with, just to keep the example going, a Chase Claypool and potentially win a title or two over the next two years. That's way more worth it than getting a developmental project who's going to sit behind him for two more seasons, maybe even three more seasons. He doesn't look anywhere near. And, like, that's the other part about, like, when it comes to the complaint against about Rodgers, right? It's not only about investing in skill position, Steve. Think about that pick for Jordan Love, right? Not only are you not getting something out of a first-round selection that year, by all accounts, if they're really working on an extension with Rodgers, you're not getting anything out of that first-round pick for potentially three years. So what was the point of trading assets to go get him and now you're getting nothing out of it as well? Like That's part of the complaint, too. It's the, it's the not only not investing in skill positions – it's the draft strategy of doing that when in reality you have a guy in front of him who's not really near the end of the road. Oh, if Rodgers, if they resign him and they're committed to Aaron Rodgers for another four years, then Jordan Love has to be traded before next year's draft. Like you right. have to get something for Jordan Love while people are all geeked up and desperate for quarterbacks. And then you can make the case like, hey, this guy was a first round pick. This is where he would grade against all the guys in the 2022 class. Like you can't, you're not sitting on him for three and four more years. Right. But, you also traded assets to go back up and get him. So are you going to recoup that? Like, what are you getting? No, and then no. you know what it is recouping as much. It's a loss, right? But recouping as much of the loss as you possibly can. But here's the deal. I don't think Packers management wants to do it. I think they are married to Jordan love. They want to see what he can do. And they are tired. You know, another quarterback speaking up and trying to get too much power. All right, guys, you do what you want, but. You've had a run here with two quarterbacks of, you know, 28-plus years. Ah, the formulas work pretty well. It's not over yet, but, you know, you do what you want. Because it's funny. People will be like, well, the Packer way. I mean, it works. It, the Packer way worked because of Favre and Rodgers. Right. Now, I'm not saying it's a, it's a garbage organization that they lift up, but let's be realistic here. You nailed it on two quarterbacks. That's the story. Not your team-building skills. And we talked to a couple of bookmakers today on the show and follow, you know, I'm filling in on follow the money, Matt Humans and I on VSIM. We talked to Nick Bogdanovich over at William Hill Caesars. We talked to Johnny Bell over at DraftKings. My win total for a Jordan Love led Packers was six and a half. Both were like, that sounds about right. Maybe seven. But like, so like that's the difference between these two as well. So you talk about the Packer way, like the Packer way is leaning on Aaron Rodgers. And that's a four win difference between these guys because they have a 10 and a half win total right now. It's not going to be pretty if it's just Jordan Love running the show here this year. By the way, you really believe it's a four-win difference? Yes. I think it's more. Oh, okay. I mean, so, there, John, there were there were moments you remember going back to the season when Rodgers got hurt. And now I'm blanking. Who was the UCLA quarterback who was the backup? Brett and, Hundley? Yeah, Brett Hundley. And the point spread difference was like literally 10. It was 10 points. It was nine mm-hmm. points every game. I mean, I, to me, that's more than four wins. So I, I hope they realize the value in Aaron Rodgers. They don't need some dorks in Las Vegas lecturing them on it. But uh, because in the end, this is it's an ego play, and hopefully, the Packers side of the ego play will back down. If not, they're going to be looking for you know they're going to be looking to you know sort of make this transition with Jordan Love. And man, I don't, I don't, I don't love that. 
I don't love that at all. All right, 3 o'clock hours on the way. Uh, like I said, we got some great giveaways coming up in the 3 o'clock hour. We'll also get into the NBA. Look, there's, there's always hope, baby. There's always hope. If you have a demanding fan base that pisses and moans and gripes, you could actually be the Knicks franchise and have a winning season every eight years. Visit lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.